1: Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten & Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode is with Jez Willis of Utah Saints. Let me tell you, you are in for a treat. This is a cracking episode. I mean, just, I mean we just have a little snapshot of one week that involved um, playing alongside, uh, in between E17 and Take That and uh, then... Uh, playing at Wembley Stadium, with you two. I mean, quite a week that. Um, I'll let Jess tell you more about that uh, when we get onto the episode. Um, before I introduce the episode, I should also say a big thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, and um, big thanks to Seventy Six for producing this. And this is, if this is your first time listening to Off the Beaten Track, when um, when you finished, um, go and have a look in the archives because you will find loads of episodes. Um, to to get stuck into uh, featuring some of your favourite bands, DJs, producers, actors, comedians. Um, I'm sure there's some episodes that feature some of the artists that we talk about on this, uh, this here episode. Also, if uh, you still want more content, then I have a Patreon page and each week I put up standalone episodes, playlists, radio shows and stuff over there and videos and yeah, you can go and get stuck into loads more extra content there and by doing that you also uh, support this this podcast. So um, any, any help there is much appreciated. Um, yeah, I guess we could get on with the episode. Let's do that. Oh, just quickly, if you do want to Find out about all the other episodes and the Patreons. Head over to www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Back to business. Please enjoy this great episode of Off the Beaten Track with the wonderful Jez Willis. I've got an announcement Save Our Souls clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B E A T one five, and that'll save you fifteen percent off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk. Official sponsors of Off the Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The beaten & Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu him. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat & Track Podcast. Sitting opposite me today is Jez Willis of Utah Saints. Hello.
2: Hello, how are you?
1: I am very good. We've already put the world to rights before we press record. so.
2: I'm trying to stay on topic now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, um, I'm going to ask you um, for track one. Uh, Jez, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro.
2: Well, the, all these questions are, are really, really hard. Um, obviously, and I went round the houses with, with lots of lots of things, but where I ended up was um, I ended up with you got the love by um, Ch- True, John Trulove and Candy Staten, which is obviously Frankie Knuckles' yeah. intro. Yeah, um, because that arpeggio um, is the minute that arpeggio comes in, you know, what's coming. And it, and it's a, it's one of those tracks, which changes the whole vibe of a a club, but you can drop it. You can drop it pretty much anywhere in a, in a set and it's going to work.
1: In any club.
2: In any club. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and the lyrics, it was so clever because the, the, firstly, the, the original Frankie Knuckles track, your love, um, it's got, it's full of emotion and it's, at first, you think it's a bit of a down track, but actually, it's not. It's quite optimistic track. It just happens to be using quite kind of minor keys, and and um, adding the Candy Staten vocal to it was just just made it into this real uplifting song. And everyone knows the words too. It's a real unifying thing. So the minute you can hear two notes of that, or one note probably, and you got you know what the track is. And I always think a good intro is that's definitely a good intro, isn't it?
1: I've never considered that. as such a great shout. As such a great shout. So who did you say that was with Candy Stanton? Well, it
2: was, it was, it was Frankie Knuckles' track and then Candy yeah. but John True Love put the two together as right. far as i know because i remember so it,
1: Drew, like, was it because i remember the version was called look, the sauce featuring candy statin
2: The sauce, yeah we're sorry that's that's john true loves yes, is that and, him yeah, oh right yeah, yeah. That's, that's it yeah the sauce i forgot thank you it's the sauce featuring yeah. candy statin so and um,
1: i weren't and, trying to correct you there mate if i want to put it because i put all these on a spotify playlist so uh, i just want to make sure i've got the right one but i actually think that version isn't on spotify
2: it might not be, because it was It was one of those things where I think, actually, do you know what? I think I had to get recreated. And I think there was some problem with the original um, recording. I could be wrong, like I was wrong about the name. But, um, i, 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 I um teacher, I've just
1: told you <laughs> I, could, I, could, I, could,
2: I could be wrong, but I think they replayed it. And I think that's why it was no longer frankie knuckles frankie knuckles wrote it yeah but that's perhaps why he didn't get a credit on the actual uh, recording coming out yeah so i th- i think they replayed it because there was a bootleg again uh, i remember me and tim both got copies of the bootleg and that was the um, sort of the illegal version if you like but on vinyl where literally um john true love or the source had put the two th- two records together dropped the acapella over over um the frankie knuckles track and um he put that out like a thousand copies, and then boom, they all sold out. And then suddenly, it was going to become a hit. Loads of other labels got involved, and uh, I think they re-recorded it.
1: It's, it's such an incredible, and that that as you said, that that apeggio at the beginning. As soon as that comes on in a club, it's 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 hands in the air, isn't it? It it, re- it really is. And, and and we were speaking um, beforehand about you know bands that 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 that, that have crossed over scenes. And when I said that can be played in any club, I, I really mean that. I do think you know you can drop that in in an indie club. You can drop that in a house club. You can you know you can drop that at a rave, and it, it just transcends it, doesn't it? It
2: does, and it's been covered a couple of times. Uh, Florence and the Machine did a, did a really high profile version of it. Um, uh, Eddie Temple Morris's band, uh, The Losers. Losers, they did a yeah. version of it as well, and um, it's. So as it's was, it was been really helped by the Florence version, probably because take it into a rock arena. But you're absolutely right; you can play that absolutely anywhere, and it's gonna it's gonna go down well.
1: That's a great shout, Jez. Um, for track two, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you.
2: Right. Well, it's funny because as a, as a, where I grew up is in in Carlisle, um, up in the north, and. Um, Without going into big stereotypes, I'm sure it's changed a lot now, but there's a a degree of trying to be quite tough, tough it out, tough a lot of stuff out. So the whole emotional thing, I think as you get older, it takes a while you get back in touch with your emotions as you get a bit older and a bit more thoughtful or a bit more experienced and stuff. And you experience lots of different things. But the reason I got into music is that I, I got moved by music. And the weird thing is, it can be something as simple as a guitar note and there's a, there's a brilliant video on, on YouTube of um, Prince playing um, at a, a cover version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps by George Harrison. And it's, it was a tribute concert to George Harrison after he died. It's an
1: all star lineup, isn't it?
2: That's right. That yeah. uh, Tom Petty was on there, Jeff Lynn out of ELO, uh, and George Harrison's son. And Prince comes along to do a guitar solo, and he hits one note, and it, that one note is so moving. And it's, there's no there's no lyric there or anything. It's just pure uh, soul and emotion coming through. So it's a long way of coming back to the track that I, that, that um, I was giving this a lot of thought. Um, but it's it's a track by a rock band called Thin Lizzy, and um, they. When I was a kid, I used to listen to uh, John Peel. I, I, I basically I'd got a bit of a summer job, and I'd managed to get this my first little hi-fi with a radio in it and and a a turntable. And I used to listen to um, John Peel on my headphones from 10 till midnight after I was supposed to be asleep. This is why I'm so knackered now, to be honest. And probably why I'm so confused, because I used to listen 10 to midnight at John Peel and then switch over to Radio Luxembourg. And Radio Luxembourg used to do a lot of disco stuff. And then I'd fall asleep. And Radio Luxembourg used to go off at four in the morning and go to white noise. So basically my listening pattern for for probably a couple of years at least was two hours of John Peel, four hours of Radio Luxembourg disco, and then four hours of white noise, and then i wake up. And uh, this track was... So So Thin Lizzy did a, did a, um, a John Peel session, and the tracks, the, the John Peel version of it is um, it's a track called Emerald. And um, the reason is, that the emotion bit in it for me is the guitar playing and the guitar solos, because Emerald's um, quite famous for being the duelling of guitars um stop me if i'm going off into too much detail no here, i'm loving it <laughs> basically the lizzie um pioneered this kind of dual guitar dual league guitar they had phil Linnett, who's who is the coolest guy he, he was just like such a rock star and to me as, as a kid i just thought that's what i want to do i want i have never been as cool as him ever not in a million years but he was just the such a brilliant rock star and he, he just looked amazing. He'd got um, a mirror on his base so he could like shine the, the lights on on, Pete, on the audience and stuff. It's just just stuff like that. And the more I kind of read about him and that he'd been kind of a, a reticent pop star, he'd gone on tour with um, Mott the Hoople and, um, in America. And after the first gig, he got told off by the, the manager of the, the main act saying you need to act like a rock star otherwise you're off the tour. And so Phil Linnett invented this whole character of being a, a rock star. I thought the idea that you can be in a rock band and invent this performing persona that's just going to be the ultimate of cool. And then you only throw in the fact that, you know, he was he a was mixed race guy and he's from Dublin and he was fronting a rock band. And loads of stuff, when I look back on it, probably shouldn't have worked. But at the time, I didn't see, you don't really see a lot of that. You just feel the music. So you got Phil Linnett front of it and you've got two guitarists, and you got you got one of the greatest drummers ever, Brian Downey, at the back of uh, Thin Lizzy, and and criminally underrated when it comes to, to drummers. But um, and then you had you had um, Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson. And Brian Robertson was about uh, nineteen or twenty w- when they did this session, and uh, Scott Gorham probably wasn't much older than that. But but I remember Brian Robertson had joined Thin Lizzy when he was seventeen, which is just like mind blowing for that to happen. Uh, but the first note of the of the guitar solo on Emerald is just takes me away, and so that's that's a big emotional connection for me.
1: And, what, and what's the emotion, Jess?
2: Um, that's tricky. It as, that's tricky because because emotion you tend to um, associate with being a bit sad no, or you know a bit, it, a bit it, down.
1: It, or it can cap, be. It can be whatever. Know. Yeah.
2: I think for me, it's just sheer excitement about what's to come. Yeah. in that because it, the two guitarists are just absolutely in tune with the music and the, the emerald is quite a, a funny structure for, or unusual structure for a song because it's kind of like the song happens and then the last couple of minutes are these duelling guitars so there's no like um no more vocal in the in the track after that and it goes so the guitars have to keep you occupied and they have to go up a level because you're already there the song is good and the guitars come in and they just the anticipation of it and the power of it and they just make you love music it doesn't matter what genre you're into you just think this is like a 19 or 20 year old guy communicating through a couple of notes on the guitar it's amazing because of that
1: wonderful
0: millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds and 365-day returns.
1: Well, let's stay back then. Um, for track three, Jess, I'm going to ask you to summarise you of your time at school.
2: Right. So this is probably a bit clichéd, but it just so happens that, the, the, that I connected with um, God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. And the reason for that was it, it, loads and loads of different things. One is nobody had ever seen anything like it. Um the second is it felt like a real underground minority thing, even though technically it went to number one in the week of you know in the jubilee oh. week uh, it was the time of it was amazing. the political statement of it was none of that was really important to me. I just saw four weird guys or felt four to me kind of unusual looking guys in a band who didn't belong there, and I loved that, and I just thought that also put something into my head about the fact that you didn't have to look necessarily how everyone pressured you to look. Because yeah. there was a lot that felt like for a while, there was a lot of, there still is, we still, we're still all under a bit of pressure to look a certain way. Yeah, But the, the sex pistols just came along and didn't look like anything else. And the attitude, the attitude which came out of that track as well, which is just bonkers. And, Got banned on the radio, so immediately you had to go and it was like an underground thing. So you, I couldn't buy it; I had to get um, a mate's brother to go and buy it. Amongst and he was he really didn't want to buy it because he was into Black Sabbath. <laughs> and it was my, my mate's brother who, who ended up um, buying this little seven-inch single for me,
1: and uh, so I could listen to it. Um, um, and where where was that at the time? Was that when you was you still in Carlisle then?
2: Yeah, that was up in Carlisle. There was one record shop in, in Carlisle called Pink Panther, and it just sold kind of everything and it was a bit underground um and um because a lot of shops wouldn't stock that that yeah. track as well yeah.
1: I, f- I find it so weird like uh, looking back now i'm i'm, I'm just a, f- a couple of years or sort of too young to to remember that and yeah and yeah,
2: you just have missed it you'd have just missed yeah. it
1: yeah and uh and and I just remember thinking, like when, when I look, you look back now at some of the old news footage of like all these these pensioners like being absolutely dis, you know absolutely horrified at, at, at punk, um, it, it almost seems farcical. But then when you I guess you look at where culture was then and and and, and what sort of state the country was in then, like it must have just been. Alien to, to 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 see anything like this, and and and, and the thing that like I think is really important when we when we talk about tracks like that, and uh, you know, and and never mind the bollocks as a, as a you know as a as a piece of art as well. Like, yes, it was it's angry as fuck, and 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 they looked they looked like lunatics, but sonically it was a fucking incredible wall of sand musically it was laden with hooks like it was so it's it's really good rock and roll and as much as he's snarling all over the microphone he's you know he was talking some absolute sense (laughs) and and you know and i think that you know a few years later when i you know my, my my kind of things, I, I, I saw that, that you know that, that jolted me was things like Boy George and things like that a few years later, but that music was far more accessible and, and less abrasive than you know as to what the Pistols were doing. And I, I just, it was,
2: but you're right. But it's still a like, it, it's still a punk thing going on. You know, Boy George was like you know I can remember lots of people going. That, you know, um question what what just being worried about what gender boy George was, you know, and not getting beyond that.
1: That <laughs> so, that what? was the conversation in in the playground at school. Did you see yeah. Top of the Pops? Is that a boy or a girl? And I mean, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, it, it, it was crackers. But I'd just love to have known what that feeling was like. You know, if you if you ever got to see a snippet of the Pistols on the telly and like and. You know how exciting that must have felt, you know, because it, it was—it was like nothing that had happened before, really. um Like to, to be that anarchic, I guess. And and now anything that's happened after that almost feels contrived. And yeah, to you know a
2: Yeah, I agree. But you—you'd have probably had this when when rave took off. Yeah, rave, I know a lot of people kind of went. Drew comparisons between the two And I think But I think there were A lot of comparisons Between the two the, the DIY kind of ethic But actually it was more polished Than it would let on And then The kind of like The counterculture bit of it And people going This isn't proper music And stuff like that And, and not seeing that There were A lot of people into it But I think I think the, the brilliant thing about That's the brilliant thing about Pop music is, is that if you get A Boy George Or John Lydon Or Keith Flint Or whatever You know And that just helps loads of people. I think it's really therapeutic. It just goes. It's really okay to to look a different way, yeah. you know, and, and which is really important, especially when you you kind of going through your formative years because you get to, you can get really hung up on on crazy stuff like how wide your trousers are or something, yeah. you know, and and having the right sneakers and and stuff like that. And it, that um, so to get get something in popular culture which goes no no, no it's okay just Whatever you want to do, just you can do that and and we're not going to judge you on it. I think it's fantastic.
1: hundred percent. did you enjoy school?
2: Uh, that's a good question uh, is it? I, and uh, which I wasn't prepared for but, that, that, which is good always good. Um, I enjoyed being that age and listening to music. Did I enjoy school? the problem with schools can be that there is so much right. Yeah, you, <laughs> you got to be careful which questions you ask me because I will just go off on one go different, for it. different different things. the problem with schools can be that they they learn too much that there's too much learning by rote so basically you know th- there's not a lot of room to to think outside the box which is fair enough because you try to learn stuff but it would be nice to incorporate stuff in there where um the arts are not constantly undervalued. So the whole time at school, music—I wanted to. I wanted to do music from. I don't know, from that Thin Lizzy record, you know, and John Peel. And I, I wanted to do music and try and make a living out of it from from then, and always, mu- uh, music would be pushed into oh it's a hobby type of thing. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, it's all very well, but you need to get think about getting a proper job. And so maybe that. Stoked to fire, and I went. Now I'm going to show you, but I don't think it did. I think it just delayed me getting into music. I had to, you know, I ended up persevering with the kind of the the qualification side. And, and to be honest, I probably should have done because I've realised that that's the currency a lot of the world deals in. And I tell my kids that, you know, I tell you, you get involved with the exams and get the bits of paper because that's the currency a lot of people use. So um, I probably should have stuck at that. But I had a couple of teachers who were great and a couple of teachers who were really not great. Yeah, And it's again, it's only when you look back on, on, on school days for an adult perspective, you think you kind of can judge some of the adults that you had to deal with when you were at school. So, uh, and also um, when I was at school and this makes me sound like 150 years old, which I, which I'm not yet. <laughs> um, it was okay for, for teachers to hit kids. So, you know, I got hit a couple of times, and that's, again, not not good. Uh, it doesn't send you out into the world with a good message of, of stuff. So there's a few things that um, I think it's a lot better now, but uh, I didn't particularly – I enjoyed the social aspect of school, and I enjoyed being that age, but I didn't always get on with
1: old teachers. So was your, your sort of creative side not encouraged at all at school?
2: No no I, I basically what the way i did it was i started um djing i, started, I my, my my entire ambition at the age of 14 was to dj the school disco and uh, and that's what i ended up doing so i did that and then i mutated it into like doing a, a mobile setup where i used to go and dj weddings and retirement parties and 18ths and all sorts of stuff when i was about 15 uh, and i just kept doing that and and um, again, that was quite late nights, a couple of times a week. So, as a result, I was pretty tired at school. And uh, I can remember getting hit by around, hit basically across the ears by a teacher and uh, um, made the mistake of turning around and going, Can you not hit me on the ears, please? Because I'm going to be a pop star, <laughs> which was not, <laughs> a, not a good thing. A
1: That's a great answer, though.
2: It's not a good thing when you're like, I was like 13 or or 14 and it's not a good thing. So off I went to the headmaster, I think, or the deputy head, I can't remember. But anyway, but I remember sort of just being off and on from there. And so it wasn't, no, it wasn't really encouraged. And that, to a degree, I'm probably guilty of that myself in terms of saying to people, when people go, I want to go in the music industry, I always go, okay, we'll have a few different options, you know, try and do different things. But like yourself, you know, I've done... I've tried to do lots of different things, including you know promoting and um, uh, uh, running, running festivals, um, promoting clubs, DJing, making music, all sorts of different things. So, but at the same time, most of those have been um, in the creative arena.
1: And I think if you want to try and make a career in that arena, I think you have to be able to spin a few plates, uh, yeah, because it's it's tough, right.
2: It is, yeah. And, um, but, I, but I always say to people, if you can promote nightclubs, you can, promote, and this is going right about the name, if you can promote nightclubs, you can promote anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you really can. You can, so, because you have to be really creative to get above and get across your message. And you've got to do it really simply to a lot of the time you're having to deal with people who may maybe a bit intoxicated as well. So you've got, to, you've got to get your message in the right format. And you learn a lot of transferable skills from that. And so the ironic thing is that I went, Back to uni, did an MA about four years ago, and I now do a bit of lecturing. So, so it's kind of gone full circle for me.
1: Do you know what though? Like, since I've um, been doing the the, the magazine, I've, I've lectured a few times as well at the University of London, uh, and I've got to be honest. Like, I, I did not enjoy school, and I do not like authority, and I don't like being told what I can and can't do by someone who I don't respect. Yeah. I agree with that. And I walked out of every single one of those lectures thinking, I think I could do this for a job. Like I absolutely, absolutely got a buzz out of that, that I hadn't got since doing gigs in bands and stuff like that. I thought it was one of the best things I could do.
2: That's brilliant. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. And I think, I think you just got to try and be the best you can. And, and, Learn from you know. There's a lot of good teachers. There's a lot of really good good people in education. It's just that the, at my particular school, yeah, a lot. Of, it's it's not even the school's fault a lot time. The arts and music and creativity gets pushed right into the hobby kind of arena, which is ridiculous for the size of the industry and the amount of right. money, uh, revenue. If even if you equate it just with revenue, hmm. which I think is also a terrible metric, just to put it in, yeah. but, but, but to, to get maybe to get money, people to understand it, it's a massive business. You then add in loads of things like, there's loads of research around music. Um, You put music into a school and it has a massive effect on attainment. It'll affect the results across lots and lots of different subjects, not just music. But but they did an experiment uh, in South Leeds here where Opera North went into four different schools in South Leeds. Did a lot of workshop with the kids and, all the results across all the subjects went up and they attributed to, to that. The problem is we're so data-driven that it's very hard to to rise to if that's even a word, the effect of, of music and the arts, you know, the broader arts like photography and, and visual arts. And um, it, it's very hard to, to say directly the impact, you know, to, to link the two yeah. things. Uh, and we're starting to get into a stage where unis are starting to be judged on how much people, how much the graduates get paid once they've graduated, and that's tricky in the arts business because there's a lot of people who are, are doing very valuable kind of work and they're not necessarily getting paid huge amounts of money, but the impact on society is immense. So, right. and we need more of it. We need more of it. Again, way off tangent. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I love I, the, the, the whole purpose of this podcast is I love it when it just pimbles. You know, the, the, the songs are secondary. <laughs> Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast. If we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So, if you want to hear the songs. Just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up and get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. For track four, um, the first record you remember buying from a record shop. The well, first, it was Dare by the Human League. Oh, wonderful!
2: So, so that's sort of like that's that's the first day I could actually remember uh, buying it. It was the, the whole album, and it was in a gatefold sleeve, and it was just like. And again, when you look back on a, on a piece of work like that, you just think this is brilliant because it's like single after single after single. Well, not, it doesn't matter so much about singles, but it doesn't as an album, it doesn't necessarily take you on a journey. But just in terms of catchiness and nice songs and, and powerful stuff. And again, and I, I don't want I to take anything away from it, but it, it helped unpick this thing that you have to be an amazing musician to put a record out. Yeah. Because a lot a lot of it is sequenced. Um, the vocals are not, so, you know, the kind of not operatic vocals yeah. on there.
1: They're, no, they're, just, they're, they're, uh, the girls aren't Mariah Carey, are they? You know, no, but no. that wouldn't work.
2: No, you're right. You're right. It wouldn't work. And it was just, it just had such a brilliant pop feel to it. And again, as intros go, you know, as soon as you hear the, the intro, don't, don't you want me? Like, yeah. the first couple of years, you're off with that. But there's things like, um, uh, these are the things that dreams are made of. Oh, such a great a, a great track. And then obviously, we, we came full circle with it because we sampled. Uh, believe in me, believe in you, and I'll believe in love, which is from Love Action. Um, so, and I think that they just because Martin Ware was still on the album, still in the band at that point, and they did. So they were they were coming out of tracks like Being Boiled and Empire State Human, which were essentially electronic punk.
1: Yeah, tracks, it was really. far darker sounding, wasn't it? You know. Yeah, like, it was. It, there it, wasn't an Open Your Heart on, on their previous stuff, was there? Which is you know a glorious pop song.
2: Yeah, it is, and and it was like suddenly they just let loose and allowed themselves to to go. Well, actually, the reason ninety nine percent of us probably get any music is through pop music. Yeah. So let's do some pop music, and uh, and that, that again, I, I discovered that band through John Peel because he was playing um, the earlier stuff, um, and he's playing some some brilliant acts around that time as well. Because it was like Simple Minds were were kind of like this underground electronic band as well. So there are lots of bands which became massive, but it kind of started on on peel. Like, like yeah. But the the electronic side of it was was wonderful. And and Dare is such a I like could like I say, it doesn't really take you on a journey like maybe Dark Side of the Moon or, or, or you know other kind of real kind of archetypal classic albums, but it is a classic album.
1: I I couldn't agree more. And and sometimes they don't have to be a journey. They can just be, you know just solid pop music and 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 i think that's what dare delivers and and i think i think it really holds up as well as an album i think it's incredible and i think phil Oakey's voice as well you know it's still sounds so unique
2: yeah no you're right you're right and 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 that's a good point about the album actually Not, not not having to be a kind of classic or a journey because that album yeah, kind of has both things. You can sit down and really listen to it, or you can have it on while you're doing something else, yeah. and it works both it things. It's a great album.
1: This is going to be um, interesting. Song at soundtrack your years clubbing.
2: <laughs> so, I've sent you an email about this. So, and I've kind of maybe cheated a little bit. Okay. So, after basically being in nightclubs most of my life, um, and it, it's Pretty impossible to choose one track, and then you start going into the classics like, like uh, you know, Blue Monday and things like that, and game-changing, track, kind of tracks. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to see if I can get away with uh, a five-minute mini mix that we did for basically we did it for Radio One for Annie Mac um, a few years ago, and it's about I think it's about 100, 100 or so tracks in five minutes. Okay, and they do all kind of mesh together. And you do have to work a little bit to spot all the tracks in there, but it pretty much pulls in everything, and it is a five minutes thing. Now, whether you, I think it's on Spotify, I'm just trying to work out if you can put it on a Spotify list or not.
1: Okay, if not, I'll, I'll if if if, there, if it is somewhere, then send me the link where I can like redirect people because, I mean the song, the soundtrack you're using Clubland, is now a hundred songs <laughs> in five minutes. Possibly the best answer we've had so far on this podcast. Yes. Well, Couldn't I mean, decide. We're... So I threw a hundred together.
2: <laughs> you know, It's funny. I, for, for Utah's that's always been part of our kind of creative process is, is working out what fit, what will fit even if it, if it just, you know, I was a DJ and you, you, you experienced this as a DJ, after a bit every track you're playing you're then thinking of another four or five possibilities that could come after that track yeah. and you don't want to do anything too jarring you maybe get away with once or twice in an evening you can really chop just stop and start off in another direction but most of the time so for 10 years me and tim used to dj every saturday night at a place called the Elbow room in leeds and we started off nothing to do with the utahs we ended up pushing the utahs name a little bit um after we'd kind of established it. But we started off just the two of us DJing in quite a busy bar. And um we'd have to get start off with like old pure funk kind of tracks like the meters and uh stuff that people kind of of Stevie wonder people things that people recognized maybe from samples and stuff. But sure. start off with funk and we'd end up at drum and bass five hours later. And we the the mission was always to try and get from Like 90 BPM head nodding funk through to flat out drum and bass in five hours without really people really realizing what that the music had moved that much, and we go via hip hop and house uh, and 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 some disco as well and and a lot of French house at the time as well, and we get to this drum and bass and um, that's always the way you your brain kind of works is you're always trying to think right what will fit either musically tempo-wise or vibe-wise with what I've just played, but move it on a bit. So that's what the Mini Mix is about.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Well, uh, to, to, to talk about um, like the, the Utahs, and, and, um, and we, we spoke briefly before um, we press record it, you know, for, for somebody that has long been a, a sort of DJ in alternative music clubs, that, you know, I guess historically you would imagine a majority of the playlist would be guitar music. Um, it it was bands um, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, in regards to the clubs that I was working at, that it, it was you know artists like Uta's um, and I guess Nine Inch Nails um, and uh, and the Prodigy that that just bridged that gap and 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 and, and that was so important. I just want to know, like, how was it um, at, at that point when all of a sudden your records are. A-listed on on Radio One and 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 you know and, and top of the pops and I mean, how, how you know how was all of that? Well,
2: top of the pops was a big milestone because um, that was what I'd set off aiming for when I was a kid. So to finally get there, it was like, right, I got to re- a realign my ambition now because just you know we had, we did it six times top of the pops and. A lot of people would have turned it down, but I was. We were all as the Utahs, we were always on the, the kind of idea that people's route into music is pop music. So if ever we got offered something, 90% of the time we'd say yes to it. So we had a couple, we had a um, a great uh, press agent, actually two press agents at London Records. One was uh, Eugene Manzi, who's kind of a bit legendary, and the other was Juliet Tentacle. And G- the two of them somehow I just managed to position us so we get enemy and we get smash hits and we get, and then London records at the time kind of got us in, certainly in this country. And we were helped by people before us, like the Shaman uh, and Jesus Jones, uh, EMF, Carter. There's a lot of bands and, and started using electronics. Uh, the KLF as well, big, big influence on us, KLF, but also, um, from a sampling point of view, Public Enemy had a big influence on us because they were just sampling everything. Anyway, when it came to doing things like pop events, we ended up, I remember having a ridiculous week where we played um, Wembley Arena with Take That and E17 and they put us on between E17 and Take That because <laughs> Take That and e 17 fans used to fight apparently or just give each other... Brilliant. Cards whatever it was so they put us on it was just like such a mismatch it was just that we'd been on top of the pops we'd been in the charts by that time I think we had three top tens so we, we got offered it and it was all like a lot of boy bands and stuff like that and we thought we felt pretty uncomfortable even though we were only a couple of years older than them it felt like we were a generation above them because we had no dance routine we didn't have any we weren't styled or anything like that so we did that and then we did a gig in Leeds where which was just Leeds bands, um, and we had Andrew Eldritch from the Mercy came and sang with us. Wow! Uh, for, for a couple of tracks, it was because the Mission played as well. He would he, he wouldn't perform with the Mission, <laughs> uh, and so that was great. That was actually um, John Beast, I think, organised that. It was for I think from
1: right from Carter for,
2: the, for a Shelter or something like that. This, uh, and then we played Wembley Arena, sorry, Wembley Stadium with you too. So in a week we've done like the Sister Mercy, take that E seventeen and U two, and and just taking trying to take stock of that, we were just thinking, this is you know we are slowly trying to get somewhere. Unfortunately, we confused ourselves and completely stopped ourselves a little, shot ourselves in the foot a little bit to be honest. But um,
1: what do you mean just, by that?
2: Well, creatively we confused. So, so we had, um, like I say, I will go off on one. If you give me the opportunity on any direction, <laughs> I'll, I'll go for So stop me if I get in too much detail here. But basically, we had the first album. We had three top tens where we sampled Kate Bush, Annie Lennox, uh, and the Human League. The fourth single that we put out sampled Slayer, and it had me singing on it. And at that point, Managed Nails were, were big in the States, and the KLF had split up. So where people, and we were pretty as an artist. You, I think, you're always unsure of what you're doing. I'm still unsure of what we're doing. You never know if it's any good or not. You never. You can kind of get a vibe if it's terrible, um, but if you think it's good, you're still not quite sure 100 if it if it's really good. Um. So, um, are you picking up any background noise? By the way, sorry no. to. Yeah, okay, good. So I've got a noisy uh, child downstairs playing Fortnite, I think. So, <laughs> and um, But basically, America were keen on us to kind of pick up, to go in a nice nails direction and sample more guitars, and the UK were kind of keen on us being the KLF. Uh, halfway during recording my second album, the project put out Jilted of... Jilted, I think it was, or Fat of the Land. One of those two. Fat of the Land, I think it was. When, when was Fat of the Land?
1: 95 or 94,
2: 95. Yeah, that is probably Fat of the Land. But anyway, he was so good. He is so good. You know, Liam Howler and his drums, if you told anybody about his drums programming, I could never get our drums to, to have be that fierce, ever. You know, I've, believe me, I've tried. And um, so we had a lot of different things and we couldn't, we kind of, couldn't quite work out what we wanted to be whether we wanted to be kind of like art people who sampled stuff all the time there was a big factor big bit of it like for us that, that like that there was the guitars the sampling i really loved the band called the young gods who from switzerland yeah just sample metal and you
1: know was a huge tune
2: yeah exactly yeah yeah that was so and i'd seen them a few times and i thought maybe we should be a band that just samples metal because, you know, apart from them, we didn't feel, and I thought, we could we bring that into the the pop of kind of arena? And that's what um, the track where we sampled Slayer was about. I was thinking kind of in those terms. And then, um, so we've been pulling lots of different directions. And I think that kind of, as opposed to just being the Utahs, we were kind of thinking which direction we're going to go in. And music, as we were discussing before that we started recording, um, Music at that time was fairly partisan and it was hard for for you were encouraged not to like one type of music if you liked another yeah and so that that made it tricky to genre, genre surf up the middle of that it sounds ridiculous now but at the time it was a tricky tricky tightrope to walk because you ended up potentially alienating everybody so you know we, we could the some of the dance people were a bit worried about us sampling metal and not making dance records and some of the kind of rockier people were a bit worried about us doing kind of dancey stuff and it just or even if that wasn't the case that was what we put upon ourselves just yeah. like just a lot of a lot of anxiety and worry about about music and um, and we set the bar really high all the time we were always comparing ourselves to Nine H Downs or Prodigy or Underworld or Chemical and stuff that was coming out with Fat Boys Slim as well. And we were thinking, again, we were thinking, are we as good as that in that area? And I think, um, I think one of the, going right back, um, and I was late on this because I missed this when I was at school, but I ended up buying that at the opera, the album of Queen. And I remember the eclectic music on that and thinking, right, you can do eclectic music. But actually, completely missing the point that Queen were queen and could do what they wanted. And the Utahs were, were never quite in that position where we could do stuff. But we ended up trying to do slow tracks, fast tracks, metal tracks, uh, dance tracks. And like I say, we we weren't as focused as we should be been. And I think what we should have done is done it album by album as opposed to trying to do it all in one album. Okay.
1: Am I right in saying, if my memory serves me well, did you, did you work with Michael Stipe? Yes, we work with Michael Stein. So, do you want to, hear, do you
2: want to know that story?
1: Oh, my God, yes.
2: <laughs> okay, so, um, basically, we were, we were doing that. The second album, we, we, we kind of abandoned in the mid-90s uh, for, for the reasons I've just been talking about. Uh, and... Um, a lot was changing i think uh dance music at the time was also seen as a bit of a bubble people thought it was going to be finished again which sounds ridiculous now but people thought it was kind of moving on going back to guitars brick pop was happening um so we kind of and rave in particular become a bit of a dirty word it, it was like rave was seen as a bit of a cheesy thing that some kind of kids were into and and maybe not the, the right thing so we kind of had to regroup we got dropped by a label we came back to Leeds uh, we regrouped um, me and Tim had a couple of years we started DJing again like I said the Elbow Rooms um, to get our heads back into the club scene we started promoting a little bit putting guests on and stuff and just getting get our heads back in the right place I, I, I guess and um, then we, we demoed some more stuff and we signed to a label called Echo who uh, um, had had success at that point with Moloko and Feeder. And we recorded a second album. And uh, there's a whole another story about that second album to do with an ACDC sample, but I won't go, won't go there right now. But um, with the Michael Slade thing, what, we'd come to pretty much finishing that album. And again, to be honest, it was an eclectic album. We'd sampled... The, the big thing had kicked off um, with Napster in America. And um, when they'd gone to the Senate... They had Metallica on one side, um, not arguing against the internet and, and downloading, but arguing against the free kind of uh, level playing, f- well, not level playing field, but the, the free giveaways of music and how it was going to destroy the industry. And then on the other side, you had uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy saying, well, actually, there are benefits to this. And they were kind of arguing the same point, to be honest, but they were kind of pushed into, into a kind of polar... Opposites. Anyway, we did this track where we sampled um, Metallica and we sampled Chuck D and we put the two things together. So we got Chuck D rapping over Metallica. And it was, as far as we know, it was the first time Metallica had ever cleared a sample. So we are like really chuffed by that. Um, so we had a few bits on that. we sampled Iggy and we sampled uh, some Tuvan throat singers uh, and um, we'd sampled uh, Justin Brown, Kim Sims and we'd more or less finished the album. And then... Mojo magazine did a feature on Michael Stipe. And Michael Stipe said, yeah, my favourite ever dance album is the Utah Saints' first album. And he said, and then he went on when he did, so we thought, that's cool that he said that. But then he he then went on to say, um, yeah, me and Courtney Love used to, when she came over, we, we used to dance a lot to that, just the two of us. And then he was saying, when I write lyrics... I need just instrumental stuff in the background and it's good for that as well. So we were like, whoa.
1: Let's not overlook the fact that he was probably the biggest rock star in the world at that point. R.E.M. were probably, you know, neck and neck with you 2 for the biggest bands in the world at that point.
2: Yeah, which makes what I'm about to tell you. uh, (laughs) uh, daft. it doesn't reflect brilliantly on the u as this. So um, so basically, obviously everyone was like, a lot of business people were like, whoa, you should, you should do something. You should do something together. And we were like, what's it going to sound like if we try and do Michael Stipe goes dance? And we we're thinking that, that just didn't sit well with us. We just saw that's kind of like, feels a bit like opportunities.
1: Were you R.E.M. fans?
2: Yeah. I mean, I liked R.E.M. I wasn't like a mega fan or anything, um, but I liked him. Yeah. That, I think, you know, and I, I particularly his voice. Uh, Funny enough, probably one of the first tracks i no, I was gonna say shiny happy people. <laughs> it was probably one of the and yet they, they hate that track. The shiny happy people, one of the B but I was a big B fifty twos fan. Oh
1: Kate Pearson, mate, what a voice.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so um so I'd always love that 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 call even though REM don't particularly like it. But anyway, so um so we thought, right, okay, what we'll do is we'll make rather than sort of try and construct a whole song and a whole thing of, of Michael Stipe singing over it dance beats or whatever, we'll ring him up, have a conversation with him and then sample that and put it into four kind of interludes on the album. So for sure, just, just
1: to stop you there, how do you just ring up Michael Stipe? Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we thought rather than trying to organize a studio session and going out to, to Georgia and, uh, or get him over here or trying to organize all that and make it, it would suddenly become a bigger deal. And we thought, he's got such a a great voice and he's got a great speaking voice and he's he's used to being michael stipe he doesn't converse quite the same way that a lot of us do in that when michael stipe speaks everybody listens and that's as as you as a podcast pro you you've learned obviously learned to do that because that otherwise you know naturally When you ask people to do an interview for the first time, they end up talking over each other a bit too much. But Michael side, as a result, had not been interrupted. He's got a rhythm to his voice. And what samplers, when you work with samplers, what they teach, you learn a lot about sound. So you learn that everything's got a pitch to it and everything's got a tune to it. And when people talk, they speed up and slow down. They go up and down as well and stuff. But So he, he had a whole thing going on and and we, we so through our management to his management and stuff we arranged this this phone call and um this is where it becomes textbook utahs so me and tim it took us years to realize that a lot of acts have big teams around them doing music music's always been just been me and tim pretty much and back in the day we had a cut. we've had a couple of people program a little bits for us but the majority of it is me and tim sat in a room listening to the same thing over and over again for months. And uh, so we thought, right, well, okay, we're going to record him over the phone. Let's let's just uh, go down to Tandy, as it was then, his electronic shop, and uh, buy a cassette recorder that records phone calls. So we did that. We brought it back to the studio in, in the house here in Leeds, um, plugged it in. Michael's. the phone goes, here's Michael Stipe. Uh, and so I'm literally talking to him on the phone um, for about an hour. I just, and we hadn't planned anything. We just thought we'll just go into conversation. And I got a company, you know, I thought I will ask him about music and ask him about what the weather's like, anything, just to get some, some noise from him. And um, anyway... So we did, we did. that. We recorded, and uh, you know, it was pretty nerve-wracking to begin with for the first few minutes. And then we got into a bit of a, a conversational thing, and he was telling us about uh, his favorite Fellini film and, and things like that. And, and we got we had some great conversations about things. Anyway, it gets the end. And we say thank you, Mr. Seib. Uh Thank you for calling. And uh, so the phone call stopped, and we, we couldn't wait to listen back to this and get going with it and we pressed play on it, and it sounded like he was a billion miles away talking through carpet. It just, the recording was just awful. We thought, well, what are we going to do? So we set it off to, to like, so then we had to get all high tech about it. So we sent it off to, um, on by, again, ridiculous sounding, but this is pre-internet really. So we had to send it off by Red Star Parcels on the train to London to an audio expert to try and rescue it. and Nothing could be done. So then I probably shouldn't go on record with all the story, but anyway, whatever. So basically, because it just makes it sound a bit more amateurish than I'd perhaps want. And um, so then we thought, what are we going to do? So what? luckily for us, when he'd uh, come through to our phone line, to stop his number being recognised. He'd gone through his management switchboard. So we were able to, so we rang their manager, or our manager rang their manager and said, the recording's a bit messed up. And before our our manager could go, because the Utahs were idiots and went out and bought. (laughs) Before he could say that, the manager at the other end goes, do you know what? It's probably because they were patched through my office. And our manager went, Possibly, <laughs> <laughs> but we got off the hook on that one. So basically, we re- rearranged it for a week later. We went down to local radio air, which is our local radio station, with a proper ISDN link and recorded it properly. And, it, and that's how we got the vocal on it.
1: Wonderful, Sound. wonderful. So,
2: but yeah, we completely nearly, nearly blew it completely. But he was, he was, a, he was such a nice guy to talk to, and, and he's, he's just, it's brilliant to talk to people who've got soul. And throughout life, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't matter what job anybody does, if they've got some kind of passion for something, it's, it's. I always love those kind of conversations because they're so inspiring. It doesn't matter if you meet someone who's doing something completely different to you, but they've got a passion for it. It's, it's infectious. And he, he's got such a passion for for lots of art and music and you know, lots of
1: things. <laughs> I, this made me think of a ridiculous quote uh, from. Uh... From, from Liam Gallagher, I, I, I read once. And he said, You know, I'm, I'm, we're a passionate family. He said, uh, You know, I like singing, and thankfully, I'm the, the greatest rock and roll star in the world. And, uh, and my brother, he loves writing songs, and he writes the best fucking songs in the world. My other brother's a grave digger, and he digs the fucking best holes you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs>
2: yes, no, if you do something, do it, that's. Uh, and again, that's, I think that's great advice. If you're going to do something, do it well.
1: Do it well. Absolutely, don't go to Tandy. Um, no. <laughs> Jez, favourite song from an artist from your home county.
2: Well, again, this is this is tricky because there's a lot. You know, um, now I'm going to I'm going to adopt Yorkshire as my home county. Okay. And um, Yorkshire's been; it's got a massive musical heritage. Always gets overlooked by Manchester or has done in the past, which is a real shame because, so I, I difficulty kind of choosing this. I've, initially I was going to go for a band called Cabaret who from Sheffield and they're just they electronic trailblazers. Again, they, you know, they started, um, they started with, with any kind of machines and they, they understood noise and they, 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 could put noise in a track and then make it work somehow. And I, I went to, I, I shouldn't have actually been there, but there was the uni advertised their, uh, Lecture with the third member of Cabaret Voltaire who left about 30 years ago and now I forgot his name. But he now records sound for a living and he he just basically does a lot of the sound for a lot of the David Attenborough documentaries and stuff like that. But also, he's a go to sound creator for um, film studios in America. So they'll ring him up at at sort of you know at 10 at night and go, We need the sound. I don't know. uh, you know, of a nuclear reactor or something like that, and he, he's able to kind of get these sounds. You see, and he he goes off and records sound. Uh, he was saying how he went under the Humber Bridge to to twang the the big steel cables and record that. Anyway, way off track now. Again, sorry, <laughs> but that's why I only chose Cabaret Voltaire. But actually, what I went with was a, a lead um, act, and it's a band called LFO, oh. and and then a track called LFO.
1: Oh, so good, so good. And
2: where and the reason that track's really important is a because it's so good. B, it it was unique sounding, and it got in the it got in the charts. It got in the charts purely on the and that it was about six months before we put What You Do For Me out, and there were leads and they were down them uh, nightmares on wax as well. We were all kind of uh, mixing in the same kind of club at the gallery where we used to promote as well. And um, then going, getting them charts without a big structure around them with basically a DIY track gave us a massive boost. So, and we went and did What You Do For Me? And we did it in a home studio and we mixed it in a local kind of rock studio in, in a couple of days, pressed a thousand copies and uh, ourselves and then sold that to record shops. And within three months we got signed and it got on top 10. Um, and a similar thing had happened with LFO and then the two guys, uh, again, I I remember there's such a memory block day today. I'm really sorry. And it's no disrespect to to the guys involved, but, um, Jez Varley, he's like, uh, and then Mark, ah, (laughs) I've got, anyway, the two guys out of LFO really talented and, and, uh, Matt Bell and, uh, just in terms of the, the production on this track, and just it was what like light years ahead of things, and it was one of those really exciting tracks to hear, and it just stuck out because it wasn't really a house track, or and it, it didn't have a, uh, a bit, big piano on it or big drum fills or anything like that. It just had that bass line on it, and it was and little arpeggio at the top. Yeah, so a, a fantastic track.
1: Oh, that's such a good choice. I, I literally remember seeing that on a chart show, and it being one of them sort of stops you in, your, in your, you know, where you stand. And it was like, what is this? Like, it just sounded otherworldly. Like, just, just brilliant record. Brilliant record. Yeah, yeah that's, a good,
2: that's a good way of describing it,
1: otherworldly, yeah. Last song, Jez. And uh, and I like asking DJs this, because you can be a DJ now. And uh, it's a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear.
2: Well, again, there's billions to choose from. And it's a really exciting time in music at the minute because just so many people are putting out tracks, and there's lots of there's lots and lots of uh, it's it's hard to keep up with everything, and you, it's impossible to keep up with everything. Um, so when I'm writing, I try not to dip in, and, and I'm currently writing at the minute. Um, I try not to, to listen to too much stuff because I'm trying to just keep my head in, in our own space. Um, but this track is about, I think it's, a I want to say it's about twelve years old or so. Um, and it's, it's by an act called uh, Matrix in Future Bound, with a drum and bass act. And it's a track called Coast to Coast. And so it, it's basically a drum and bass track, but it's got these strings on it. And uh, I remember when I first heard it, I, I was just, uh, I, I think I did it on Zane Lowe or something like that. And... Um, and I was just thinking, why is this not a massive, massive, massive track? Why has it not been a huge hit? Matrix Futurebound went on; they had a couple of hits. They've had some hits and stuff, and they're a big drum and bass act now. Uh, but this was kind of a bit earlier on, before they kind of like, had any kind of chart success. But it should have been a hit. It should have been. A, it's probably the, the, the lyrics are a bit hard to make out, but the strings on it make it really move. It's a great track for for driving. It's a great driving track.
1: Well, I hope it's on Spotify uh if if it is
2: it should be it's called coast to coast and it matrix and future bound
1: well we do do a spotify playlist for a company that the the, the podcast jez and we'll 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 put all your choices on there and some of the other records that we've we've spoke about and uh and 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 jez as we find ourselves coming out of lockdown in in some i don't know when or where but it, it seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel what's coming up
2: well, like everybody, it's hard to, hard to say. I mean, we, we've taken, I took a, like everybody, the, the whole live thing going is tricky for us all to navigate around, especially when we, we've got a plan for it. Next year is 30 years of Utah Saints, so 2021 is 30 years of Utahs. We've been late for absolutely everything. But <laughs> yeah, maybe 2022 by the time we get there, but we're going to a try for 2021. Basically, we, we've been working, I spent the last We've done a lot of different things, like I was saying to you, but and but spent the last five years probably proper cr- uh, crate digging for samples. Now got uh, a kind of list of things that I think are going to work, or that we think we think are going to work in tracks, uh, and we've got a, 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 that nobody else has sampled yet. It's getting smaller because people keep sampling them, but uh, at the moment it stands at about six hundred tracks that we think have got potential samples in. So even if one percent of them work, ideally we should we should have six tracks. So um, basically, it's getting the confidence up to, to to feel you know that we've got tracks that we stand by as the Utahs, and we do do that. You know, we we put things up on SoundCloud every now and again. Um, I think the plan is that we're going to revisit um, track God "Believe in Me" because we we. We did What You Do For Me, We Did Something Good. We're going to revisit that, I think um, do a new version of that, uh, and then do some new tracks with it. And we've got kind of, um, a, a company called Because Music. I've, I've bought the entire London Records catalogue and we're part of that. So we're thinking to try and release some stuff next year as part of the 30 Years of Utahs. If that works, we're also thinking of putting together... <laughs> spinal tap as this is we're also thinking of trying to get the, the putting together a band a live band again that's amazing because we, we always we've always had a foot in both camps which is why we love djing festivals so much on our main stage and we had a bit of a game-changing festival thing about probably about 10 years ago at, um a festival called Wickerman, and we would never have uh, thought of this, but they put us on the main stage after the Zootones uh, at midnight. And so when, when we thought we were playing like a dance tent or something like that, but Wickerman was a really good, really good festival. It, it stopped now, but it, it was um, so we were on the main stage after Wickerman and uh, sorry, after the Zootons at this festival called Wickerman. And it was just amazing gig for us. And we had to temper the set slightly because we were trying to hit a lot of different people. Um, so when that happens, adrenaline kicks in, and we just like go play everything a bit of everything, really, a bit like that mini mix. And um, so we want to, we I, we kind of do know what we're doing in the live kind of arena, yeah. So we do without being a big-headed idiot, I hope that doesn't come across that way. But basically, because of our backgrounds, I've come out of live bands, uh, and Tim's kind of the DJing, but we've where we kind of meet is. Where we're most comfortable will probably be on a big stage. We can do clubs and we've done lots and lots and lots of underground clubs. We're also equally comfortable doing a banging techno club in, in Madrid or whatever it is and just playing underground techno. It depends where, where we're at and what we're doing. But we just feel like if we can put a, a live thing together, then that's what we're going to do. And it's going to be visual heavy and we're going to be backlit.
1: <laughs> Lovely. We're back, we're a stage of our career where we need to be backlit these days. And so for people that want to find out about all of this when it happens, where's the best place to sort of uh, find out about what you're up to?
2: Normal social media. So uh, at Utah Saints Twitter, at Utah Saints Facebook, um, our SoundClouds, we we will put stuff up in there as and when. We put mixes up on on SoundCloud fairly regularly. Facebook and Twitter are probably the the most two up-to-date ones. But again, we do a lot of this ourselves, so um, we're always plate-spinning. So we've got a lot of stuff to put in place by, by next year. We've got to think about, you know, how we're going to, the kind of crew we're going to put around us, basically.
1: Wonderful. Well, best of luck with it, Jez. And, and thank you so much for, for giving up your time today. It's been a real joy chatting.
2: No, thank you. I really, it's been really enjoyable. Thank you for such, such, making such difficult choices with these tracks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you have it. Jez Willis, what an absolutely lovely dude! We carried on chatting for ages after I pressed stop, and uh, I could have carried on talking for for way longer, but uh, but I had to take the dog for a walk. And uh, but what an absolute lovely guy! We we spoke on the phone maybe ten years ago um, uh, re- regarding uh, the club now I was doing, and, and and maybe working with with Jez on that. And and it was so lovely when uh, I reached out to the management and. And, and, and Jez was like, are you Stu that used to do the blah, 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 blah? And I was like, yeah. And so, yeah, it, it, was, it was like, it felt like chatting to an old friend on that podcast. And I hope that come across. And uh, it was a really lovely chat with um, a wonderful fella. Um, and as mentioned at the beginning, if you did enjoy this um, episode, go and have a, a rummage in the archives because there's bundles of other chats. To be listened to there, um, and the Patreon, of course, if you want to support the podcast um, over there, uh, you can find out about it all at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. dot com. I'm back soon. Have a lovely week. See you soon. Bye bye. Oh yeah, sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify. And Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a lot of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there also. Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month, there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well, podbiblemag.com. It's Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whippin. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.